for Jesus. Just bless this time that we'll have now. Let the words that I speak be your words. Let them bring peace, understanding, conviction, if you will, to those who will hear. We give you thanks and ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Checking boxes off the daily list of the things that I do wrong. But Jesus, you are forgiveness to the core. And you are molding, holding, growing my heart right next to yours. Right next to yours. Just at heart Stealing dollars from the lonely ones Who don't seem to look the part But Jesus is in love with every kind And he's rolling, blowing like the wind And honestly, it's blowing my mind
Good morning. So is, is there anybody here that was not affected by some road or bridge being dis disappearing? Not affected. So just a couple. What? I know. That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, if this is the only place you go, then I guess you're, you're okay. Um, Fran has got something that she wanted to share. Um, she was very much affected, <laughs> as you're going to hear. So, um, but it has a good ending. So, it has a good ending. Oh, just, just short. I just want to share you. Nope. So I live northwest of Ashland, sort of in between Ashland and Montpelier. Oh God. Yes. Hold it up. I live northwest of Ashland. <laughs> I'll take away my screaming voice and go to my not real voice. Um, anyway, to get out of my, from my house, you have to cross over the South Anna River. And then parallel to that, there's a small creek that typically is a really cute little country creek. Well, Friday morning when I was leaving, I worked downtown, so I was already worried about visibility. And it was pouring down rain, and it had poured all night long. And I cut on the news to see what was going on, and of course they say nothing. So I just got on in my car at quarter till six in the morning, and took off. And it, I ask always when I'm concerned about driving conditions, I will say a prayer before I pull out of my garage. And I, if I'm really worried, I will ask Jesus to sit in the passenger seat and just be with me and help to guide me and help me to make good decisions. So I did that that morning, and I got all the way to the bridge. It really wasn't raining that bad at all. I got to the river bridge and um, was distracted, kind of glancing over the side to see how high the water in the river was. Totally unprepared that as I drove off the river bridge towards the creek, which is about 50 feet or more away typically, I drove right into the creek. And it is like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. And I just started saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Um, I kept my foot on the gas, and it was splashing over the hood of my car. I don't know how high it was, but it was like a torrent. It was nothing I've ever seen in my life. And I could see people on the other side that were stopping and turning around, and so I aimed towards their headlights to steer and just kept my feet on the my foot on the gas pedal and drove right through it. Now, I was scared then. When I got home that night, 
I was walking around my car. My license plate on the front of my car was bent in half. And we started news flipping to see if anybody had any coverage of it. Channel 8 was there filming. All of the pavement off of that bridge was washed off. It's in the woods now. There actually was a pickup truck washed down the creek from farther up the creek that is now wedged under the bridge. Um, one woman and her kids had to be rescued out of their car. It's Horseshoe Bridge Road, yeah. The Little Creek, not the river, the Little Creek. Um, and it, I, there is no question in my mind, but had Jesus not been in the passenger seat with me, that would have been me getting rescued or, or who knows what. So thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Fran wasn't going to share this part, but I am. But she got home and she's telling this story to her husband. Uh, normally the motto is uh, turn around, don't drown. Well, her husband decided that Fran's motto is screw it, drive through it. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, today is uh, Pentecost, if you didn't know that. And so we are end ending our series on the Holy Spirit today. Um, and the title of the sermon is Come Holy Spirit. Now, this, is a, this may be the most famous prayer, if you will, or saying that has come out of the Vineyard Movement. And uh, this, this prayer has been around for almost 40 years, got its origin back in 1980. And so many people have heard it, but very few people actually know the story that's behind this. So I wanted to start by sharing that today, just so that you kind of have some sense of where this all started. It was around April or May in 1980 that this young guy named Lonnie Frisbee started attending uh, John Wimber's Vineyard Church in Yorba Linda, California. Now, Lonnie had been one of the most powerful evangelists in the Jesus movement that was occurring in Southern California uh, in the 70s, primarily. And um, he started attending the vineyard. And so one Sunday uh, after the service, John and his wife Carol invited Lonnie to come over for lunch. And so they're there talking. I think Lonnie's roommate came with them as well. So the, the four of them are there, and they're talking, and they're just kind of sharing about all the things, the amazing things that God's done and um, that they had witnessed God do and really just seen. And so John really believed that God was speaking to him, that he was supposed to ask Lonnie to speak at their service that night. Now, it just so happened this was on Mother's Day. <clears throat> And John was not crazy about the idea because he had actually heard uh, some stories that Lonnie's ministry style had sort of a controversial edge to it. So John was very conservative, did not, you know, wasn't too sure about, you know, inviting him uh, to speak, but he felt like God just kept hammering away at this idea, and so he finally relents and... Uh, decides to ask Lonnie if he would share his testimony at church that night. Well, Lonnie readily agreed to do that. <clears throat> so, uh, as you would expect, John was in turmoil the entire afternoon. 
He's worried about what's going to happen that night. Um, but then Lonnie began speaking, and John was like, this is great. You know, I don't know what I was so worried about. And then what happened next proved to be a watershed moment in the history of the vineyard. And I have actually a picture. That's what Lonnie looked like. That actually is him on Mother's Day, 1980, preaching at the vineyard. So after Lonnie gives his testimony, he opens up his Bible to Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, and he starts to read about the glory of the Lord appearing over his people, causing them to shine in such a way that the nations of the earth would all see and hear. And so at that point, he invites all the young people, anyone who was 25 and younger, to come up towards the stage. And he began to prophesy over them, saying that you know, they would be going forth in power and under the anointing of God. And so he, what he did was he asked all of those who were um, in the audience who were over 25 to just extend their hands out to them and, and pray over them, uh, just like the priests did in the Old Testament, as a way of sort of showing that there was a unity between the generations. And the under 25s, and there were several hundred that were there, uh, were just to hold up their hands to God in that posture of sort of receiving something from the Lord. And he instructed everybody to keep their eyes open because he said that this was going to be a school of the Holy Spirit. Now, while Lonnie did more or less say, Holy Spirit come, that's the way John remembers it. Um, and that's the way John has written about it in a number of his books. If you go back and actually listen, there's a tape that you can find of that particular preaching. Lonnie never actually said those words, but what he was saying were things like, and he would look out at the crowd and he would say, I see the Holy Spirit resting on that young man in the blue shirt. Um, let the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit fall. And then he'd say, you know, I see the Lord coming in power on that group standing over there. Receive the power. And then all heaven broke loose. And the church looked like a battlefield. There were bodies everywhere, falling, shaking, weeping, wailing, speaking in tongues. There's a, one of the anecdotal stories about this was there was one young man who was standing up on stage or near the stage, and when he fell over under the power of God, he fell right next to an open microphone. And he began speaking in tongues. And this is going out over the loudspeaker system now. Um, there were some people that day that left the church and never came back. They were offended. Well, John's wife, Carol, was just as excited as she could be because she truly believed that this was the move of the Holy Spirit that they'd been praying for. John, not so much. John was angry and he was upset. And he was up all night that night just agonizing over what had happened. Um, he looked through the whole Bible trying to find somewhere where it said, Come Holy Spirit. And he could not find it anywhere. And so he was thinking, Oh God, have I somehow been duped into letting the devil up on our platform? You know, and, and then this happens. 
Now, he did find a little bit of solace because there are some places where you will find that people trembled and fell in Scripture. And he also looked at a lot of the church history books that describe the revivals that have occurred, uh, especially under men like George Whitfield and John Wesley. But there wasn't anything conclusive that he really felt like he could grab onto. Well, meanwhile, about a thousand miles away, there was a man named Tom Stipe who was awakened about 5 a.m. from a sound sleep. And Tom had been a Calvary Chapel pastor with John, and that's where John sort of started and then moved on from there to begin the vineyard. And Tom was planting a church in Denver. And so he had been, Tom himself had been a very key player in the heyday of the Jesus movement and had experienced all of the very things that had just happened in the church in Yorba Linda. So God is prompting Tom to call John and encourage him. This is at 5 o'clock in the morning. And, and Tom just tries to, eh, I'm not going to do that. You know how we have, tend to respond to God so many times. Nah, I don't, I'm not going to do that. He tries to brush off this impression and, and just go back to sleep. But he couldn't. It just wouldn't let go of him. So he finally decides to take a risk because remember, it's pretty early in the morning, too. And, and call John. It was 6.30 in California by the time he finally decided to call. Well, what was hap going on in California, unbeknownst to Tom, was that at this point, John had just gotten desperate. And he cries out, Lord, if this is you, please tell me. And the phone rang. And so he's surprised to hear Tom's voice. And so John just starts to tell him about, you know, what he was agonizing over, all these things that had happened in this church the night before. And he'd been up all night trying to figure out, is this really God? Well, Tom assured him that it was the Lord and recounted similar kinds of occurrences that had happened during the Jesus movement. And it was all that, that John needed to know. Because John had heard about these things, but he'd never actually lived through them. You know, had actually seen them happen. Well, Tom had actually lived through them, and, and in John's mind, Tom was a very credible witness. And here's the key thing. John didn't have to understand it. All he cared about was whether it was God or not. And what I hope you've come to understand over the course of this seven-week series that, uh, where we've been talking about the Holy Spirit is that this come Holy Spirit prayer shouldn't be something that we pray every once in a while. Saying come Holy Spirit ought to be something that we're saying every day, if not every hour of every day. So summarizing that thought and in really kind of summarizing this whole series just brings us to the main idea for the message today, and that is this. You should engage the Holy Spirit more fully in your life. You should engage the Holy Spirit more fully in your life. And so as our main ideas typically do, it leads to a question, well, how do I do that? What does that look like if I were to live out my life? What, what does it mean or look like for me to engage more of the Holy Spirit in my life? Fear not, I have answers. You knew I would. 
Answer number one, welcome the Spirit. Parenthetically, don't be a wet blanket. All right, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look. We're going to look at uh, a few verses here. And the first one is a very short verse. It's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. And it says this, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Now, there are other versions <clears throat> that um, translate this as, Do not put out the Spirit's fire, or do not quench the Spirit. But, in essence, what the word stifle means is to douse a fire. Now, that's exactly what you use a wet blanket for, to douse and smother a fire. So to stifle the Holy Spirit would be to forbid or restrain what he's trying to do in some way. And so by warning the believers uh, in this church not to stifle the Holy Spirit, what Paul may have meant was that the believers in Thessalonica should not grieve the Spirit through any uh, of the sins that had been mentioned in this letter, which was immorality and laziness, for example. But probably more likely, what Paul may have been referring to was a situation in the church in which some of the believers had been limiting or even forbidding the exercise of certain spiritual gifts, such as prophecy and speaking in tongues. Now, Paul warned that no one should ignore or toss aside the gifts the Holy Spirit gives. In other words, don't throw a wet blanket on those who, under extraordinary inspiration of the Spirit, stand up to speak with tongues or to reveal mysteries or to pray for or over the congregation in some way. And yes... It is true that at certain times, immature use of the spiritual gifts can cause problems. But see, rather than trying to just solve those problems, what the believers in Thessalonica were doing were just stifling, just saying, well, we're not going to do that. And nobody, no one, should stifle the Holy Spirit's work in anyone's life. All Christians should encourage the full expression of those gifts that benefits the entire body of Christ. Now, I believe it's so important that we put it in our vision statement. And not only should you not throw a wet blanket on the church, you shouldn't throw a wet blanket on yourself either. See, the fire of the Holy Spirit is stifled when he is rejected when his convicting power and righteousness and judgment are just simply ignored. We douse the Spirit's influence in our life through doubt. We drench him with anger. We drown him in his power with immorality. See, the Holy Spirit can't be put out. He's God. But we can stifle his work in our life. And so we quench the Spirit or we grieve him when we don't reach for those attitudes and graces which are peculiarly his, love, joy, peace, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And the Spirit's fire is quenched when his presence is ignored or his guidance and his conviction in our hearts is suppressed or even rejected. Now, total honesty time. Donna's going to laugh here in a minute. 
The other night she thought there was, I was being a little too honest, so we'll see. I will fully admit to you that pastoring a church which openly invites people to move in the Holy Spirit is hard. Right? Because let's face it, people attempting to move in the Holy Spirit, it can be messy. People can get things wrong. We're human. That's going to happen. We think we're prophesying a word from God when in reality it's just a word from us with God's name tacked on at the end. Or we let our egos get involved and what's really the flesh is presented as the work of the Holy Spirit. And in those cases, ministry's done for our glory, not God's. Now this might even be why so many churches avoid Spirit-inspired ministry. I mean, I can understand, I don't agree, but I can understand why a pastor would go, well, it's easier just to ignore all that, focus on the rest of the Bible, and have a nice, neat, orderly church instead. But I don't think that's God's will either for the church or for any of you. And I've consistently maintained that I would rather have all of the gifts in operation here and be responsible for cleaning up whatever messes occur than to stifle the Holy Spirit in favor of a more manageable and socially acceptable church. And so my prayer for you today is not only that you'll be okay with that, that you'll be okay with that approach in your church, but that you'll also be okay with that approach in your life. Welcome the Holy Spirit, even when it seems strange. And don't forget how John approached it. He didn't have to understand it. All he cared about was whether it was God or not. And that's important. We don't want to lose sight of that. And I love this. When something out of the ordinary does happen, um, just do what Bethel senior pastor Bill Johnson does. In fact, there was a story I heard about one time in a service, gold dust was falling, just manifesting and falling on people. <laughs> and some woman came up to him after the service and was complaining. Like he could do anything about it. And she, you know, is demanding to know where this is in Scripture and all that. And I loved his response. He just quotes Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. <laughs> End of story. Welcome the Holy Spirit. Don't be a wet blanket. Number two. Live by the Spirit. Parenthetically, be fruity. <laughs> So our scripture here is Galatians 5, 22 through 25, familiar to many of you. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'll stop right here just for a second. I was thinking earlier, you know, we were singing, we've got that joy, joy, joy down in my heart. You ever wonder why there aren't any happy songs about self-control? We ought to write some. All right. S starting. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. 
Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Okay. So this is sort of where Paul introduces this word fruit. Okay. And it's filled with a lot of meaning, actually. Now, you might have expected him, as he's going along in this section, to just talk about the works of the Holy Spirit, right? But I think Paul needed a fresh term because he'd used this word works throughout this letter in several other places. So, you know, he's probably looking for something else besides the point that works indicates that there's a lot of activity that people must do. Fruit's different. Fruit is singular, which indicates that all of the fruits exist as a unit, kind of like a bunch of grapes rather than just individual pieces of fruit, and that all are important to all the believers, which is different from giftings, right? Because each person can have different giftings, but the fruit is, is universal. And so Paul conveys this meaning uh, as a full harvest of these virtues, the other thing that I think is interesting about this is that if you think about it, fruit's a byproduct. It takes time. It takes time to grow it. It requires care, and it requires cultivation. So all, those, all that goes into creating this fruit. It's the spirit that produces the fruit. It's our job to get in tune with the spirit. And so believers exhibit the fruit of the Spirit not because they work at it, but simply because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you keep getting filled with the Holy Spirit? By saying, come, Holy Spirit. And so the fruit of the Spirit separates you from this godless, evil world. It reveals a power that's within you, and it helps you become more Christ-like in everything that you do. And so there's a list that precedes this that has all these negative worldly virtues. And um, Paul didn't describe these characteristics as being obvious because that previous list is the one that sort of resides in us. The list that follows, the list that we just read, is what is a result of the Holy Spirit's presence in us. And so these characteristics fall into three categories. And the first group of three is inward. And this is what comes from God alone. So first of all, we have love. And this is the love that's shown by Jesus, the love that is self-sacrificing and unchanging. And I'm fairly certain that here Paul uses that word agape, or agape, which means that self-sacrificing, unconditional love that it goes beyond the other definitions of love that we have come to know. It's demonstrated in the love of God sending his son for all of us. And it's love that forms the foundation for all of the other fruit that is listed here. And elsewhere, Paul breaks love down into these various components, for example, in 1 Corinthians 13. So that love's turn, really, when you start to, to look at it in this lens, love turns out to bear very little resemblance to the word love that we use so frequently. And then there's joy, and that's an inner rejoicing that abides despite our outer circumstances. And it's a characteristic that many don't understand. It has little to do with happiness. 
Joy is a deep and nourishing satisfaction that continues even when life's situation seems empty and unsatisfying. The relationship with God through Jesus remains even in the deserts and valleys of our daily lives. And then we have peace. Peace is an inner quietness and trust in God's sovereignty and justice, even in the face of adverse circumstances. It's a profound agreement with the truth, and we've talked about this before, that God, not us, is in charge of the universe. If we'll accept that, we can have peace. Now, the second three are more outward-focused, and they concern each believer's relationship with someone else. So we have patience. Now, this is putting up with people who continually irritate us. Now, I, I learned a word or a description for these people once. Um, they're called EGRs, extra grace required. So certainly you have some EGRs in your life. Well, it's just they're there to help you learn patience, right? And it's the Holy Spirit and his work in us that can increase our endurance and ability to, to love those EGRs, even though they can be very trying. And then we have kindness. Kindness is acting charitably or benevolently towards others, just as God did to us. Kindness takes the initiative in responding to the needs of other people. Then we have goodness. Goodness is reaching out to do good to others, even when they don't deserve it. Right? Goodness doesn't react to evil, but absorbs the offense and responds with positive action. This is sort of like the way I once heard managers described. Managers are supposed to absorb heat and radiate light. And I think that's a good description for Christians, too. We absorb the heat and we radiate the light. Now, the last three fruit focus forward and present a more general uh, present more general character traits uh, that ought to just guide a believer's life in general. For example, faithfulness. Well, faithfulness is just being reliable and trustworthy. Gentleness is being humble and considerate of others, being submissive to God and to his word. And I found this interesting. If you think about this, even when anger might be an appropriate response to a situation, such as when Jesus cleared out the temple, it's gentleness that keeps the anger headed in the right direction. Self-control is mastery over our sinful human desires and their lack of restraint. And what is ironic is that you know, our sinful desires seem to promise this self-fulfillment and power, but they inevitably lead us to slavery. Whereas when we surrender to the Holy Spirit, Initially, we kind of feel like we've lost control. But then that he leads us to that exercise of self-control that would be impossible in our own strength. Now, in the world's context, being called fruity is generally not a compliment. I, uh, I looked this up in the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Relax. It's not bad. But the Urban Dictionary defines fruity as, as referring to something which is cheerfully and perkily naive, corny, 
unselfconsciously dippy or just plain dumb and is amusing because of it. This is, this is what I like. It is dorkiness which doesn't even know that it's dorky, but celebrates its own dorkiness anyway. <laughs> but like so much of the Christian life, what the, when the, what the world thinks of one way, we see as something totally different. So I want to encourage you today to be fruity and to be proud of it. I'm thinking we get some bumper stickers. <laughs> I'm fruity and I'm proud. You going to put them on your car? <laughs> Didn't think so. Okay, so you don't have to put it on your car. Just live like it. All right? To be fruity means you're living your life by the Holy Spirit, and that's a good thing. And it's something that even our jaded and self-absorbed world will notice and applaud. All right? And then finally, keep on walking in the Spirit, or use your God-given GPS. And for this, we're going to look at Galatians uh, some verses just pre previous to the ones that I just read. This is 5, 16 through 18, which says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So walking in the Spirit really means nothing more that we've learned to take some small steps in our journey with God, welcoming God's highest and best as a new learned routine in our spiritual life. And so the more that we practice honoring and listening and following the Spirit's guidance, the more God can use us in decidedly unique and powerful ways. Now, the spiritual conflict um, that is within you involves all of you, mind, body, and spirit. And the struggle that we have is whether or not we're going to yield to it, to give in to our own... Um, to sin's control, or whether we're going to surrender to the Holy Spirit and continue under Christ's authority and control. And so there's a battlefield within each of us. And the conflict is going to continue through our earthly lives. But if we will rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and follow his guidance, then we can overcome these ungodly desires and win the battle over the sinful nature. So verse 16 essentially tells us that the law is powerless to help us overcome these sins, right? We may want to please God, but the sin nature is constantly tugging at us, kind of pulling us the other direction. And so the answer to this is found in that inward ministry of the Holy Spirit. And to experience true victory, we've got to walk by the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And as we live our lives in dependence on and obedience to the Holy Spirit, then we, then we, we stop this uh, gratification of these sinful desires. Uh, 
Verse 17, then sort of Paul's demonstrating this need for the Holy Spirit's enablement. enablement. And so, you know, this side of heaven, that we're always going to have this conflict between the Holy Spirit and the flesh. And flesh really in this case is not limited just to the physical dimension, but could be anything less than and other than what than God in which you place your trust. And then in 18, he tells us that victory over sin is not the result, again, of living under the law. It's the result of actively yielding to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, this first, both the first step in salvation and then its ongoing steps are brought about within us by God's Spirit working through faith. Now, God desires that we, that we walk in his way, and that's why he's given us our very own GPS, so that we'll always know which way to go. And if we're going to keep walking in the Spirit, the only way that we can do that is to learn to use the GPS and then do what it tells you. Have you ever known people that have a GPS and it tells them to turn somewhere and they're like, no, nah, I'm not going that way? You? Really? Um, generally not a good idea. Um, and the cool thing is that unlike earthly technology, this GPS is never going to get confused. And it's never going to tell you that it's recalculating your route or it's redirecting you somewhere. The Holy Spirit is 100% reliable. All right, to close this, I've heard of it said that if something doesn't challenge you, it has no chance to change you. If something doesn't challenge you, it has no chance to change you. And I really hope that this series on the Holy Spirit has challenged you and that you have accepted that challenge and that change is coming. Because whether you realize it or not, you have access to power that is far greater than anything that you can imagine if you will only start to pay more attention to it. And the thing is, if you don't have access to that power yet because you haven't decided to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then we're going to take care of that right now. And so you can... Close your eyes, you can keep your eyes open. Uh, but if following Jesus is something that you have now decided that you want to do, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. You can say it out loud, you can say it silently. God hears it either way, all right? Oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm willing to turn from my sins. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sins and that you raised him to eternal life. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I receive Jesus as my Lord. And from this moment on, I want to follow him in the fellowship of the church. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, you don't have to share, but is there anybody 
who prayed that prayer for the first time today. Clap for him. Like I've said before, we need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate that. You know, and maybe I've, I've said this before, but it can be, some churches have a practice of saying, everybody close your eyes, raise your hand if you're going to accept Jesus. And nobody knows they did it. And it just seems wrong. I think we ought to, you know, we need to respect people's privacy, right? And if someone, if, that, if they want to keep that private, and Michael here didn't have to raise his hand. I didn't, you know, didn't demand that. But he chose to. And I think when someone chooses to publicly acknowledge that, then we need to acknowledge them and welcome them into the family because it's a joyful thing, right? So take some time, take a moment to, uh, to welcome him once we uh, sort of close here today. So I'd like to invite those who have been released to pray to come up and um, be available for prayer. Encourage you to to get prayer for whatever it is that uh, you need. We are now starting to uh, on a project to record some testimonies and show them at various times throughout our service. Uh, and so if you have one that you would like to share, I would love to hear from you, and we'll get Nick to uh, set up an appointment with you so we can take video your testimony, and then he can edit it down, and we've got something that we can share with the church. Because nothing will encourage us more than testimony, because it's an actual story of God at work. And if you were here last week, you heard Rich share a testimony that I, I fully believe really built the faith of a lot of people in hearing what God's capable of. So I just want to pray now. Um, like I've said on probably many Sundays, this is the time in which we want to set aside to really experience God. And so you can use that time however you choose. If you need prayer, we have people available for that. If you just want to sit in your chair and worship, you can do that. If you need to go, I understand. And you can just go ahead and, and leave. Um, but hopefully you will you know, take that time to, to try and connect with the Spirit of God in some way. Because that's the reason we're here. So Father, I thank you for this word on your spirit. And I thank you for these ways that we can continually engage with the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. I give you praise for the acceptance of Jesus that we had today, Father. And we welcome our friend and brother into the kingdom. Continue to work in the lives of all of us as we attempt to engage more with your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear more clearly, to discern his voice, those Holy Spirit nudges that we talk about. Help us to adopt an attitude of just moving in that and not worrying about what somebody else is going to say or what they might think or how we look. 
but to just try and be obedient. And yes, we're going to get things wrong occasionally, but that's okay. Because we learn as we do. So I just give you thanks. And I give you praise. And now I ask, may the Lord bless and protect all of you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Everything else quickly fades from